Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There it is. Oh, when that bass comes crashing in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we are so glad you've chosen to tune into DLC. Hey, are you listening in your car, on a drive, on a commute? We're there with you. Are you one of our geeks in sneaks, listening while you motivate yourself through a workout? We're there with you. We got 90 minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week. DLC delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free, thanks to our sponsors this week, Linda, oh, Linda, and new sponsor, Pond5. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about gaming in its many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who is always better at clock management than the New York Giants, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello. Man, that uh, football's back for... I'm acknowledging your reference and aware of it, and um, <laughs> I am here as well. <laughs> I appreciate that. You rarely do, so I appreciate that. Uh, I could talk about football all day long, but we are not a football podcast. No, no. We are a video game and board game podcast. And, you know, everybody always asks me, what does DLC stand for? And I always have to tell them, it's your downloadable Kanata, it's your downloadable Christian. But this week, ooh, we're excited because DLC stands for dipping into the liquid of Chris. Because we have host, producer, and writer at GameSpot, first-time guest, Mr. Chris Waters is here with us. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Christian. Uh, Super excited that you guys went for the last name joke straight out of the gate. Yeah, you know, I figure uh, you don't get that enough, so we should probably just uh, rock it, rock it right at the top. You know, that was one. That's an angle I haven't heard. Always appreciate a new take on it for sure. <laughs> uh, Chris and I met at uh, at PAX this year. I was on a panel that he hosted, and so I'm excited to have you on, man. I've been a fan of your stuff on Gamespot for a while now, so uh, welcome. Dude, that panel was a great time. We just talked about games that like everyone really loves, and uh, it seems like that's something you guys like to do here too. So I'm thrilled yeah, to be here. Sure. Absolutely. Okay, we actually have a huge amount of games to talk about in the playlist. Everybody's been playing a bunch of stuff, but uh, we can't get to there before we start where we always start, which is story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. As always, you can submit stories for our consideration by using our hashtag on Twitter, that's DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, that is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Bunch of stories submitted this week from the likes of uh, Danish Syed, uh, from Dragon Slayer 91 and others. Thank you all for doing that. It helps us out. Um, Chris, as our guest, you get first pick of stories. So what would you consider to be your story of the week this week? Well, you know, I was looking through last week, uh, checking in on the stories and like, I'm not a huge Pokemon fan. 
Uh, I haven't really played much of any of the DS games, which is like a miraculous feat given how dominant they've been for so many years. But they announced last week Pokemon Go for the Android and iPhone. And it's uh, one out in the world and like go to a, a statue and like you get a, a Pokemon or something. It's, it's one of these mobile games that like encourages you to be mobile. It's a location based game. And uh, this this is really interesting to me because I, I yeah. love the idea of like, hey, you, like go somewhere, go go to a place, get out. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. You know, it's made by the same people that made Ingress, which was a uh, a Google game of the same type where, you know, you're out in the world. It's uh have to be in a specific location to do a specific thing. Um, you guys play Ingress at all? I tried it. A buddy of mine got really into it and he really loved it. Uh, and I played it a little bit with him just sort of on his phone. And um, it's pretty cool. Like there's like a massive war going on all the time in your area. And you get notifications of like how if, just by visiting a certain location, you can help out, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, did mm-hmm. you ever try it, Chris? I did not. Uh, you know what it actually reminds me of, though, is something that I have had brushes with uh, due to, like, I have friends who have, like, you know, kids in elementary school at this point, and uh, a couple of them have gotten really into geocaching. Which oh, is, yeah, I love that. You guys you guys know what that's all about? It's like, uh, oh, yeah. you sort of look, you find GPS coordinates for some, for some place in the world, and you go there, and someone has hidden, like, a little treasure, and you, like, take a picture of yourself with it and log it and then put it back for someone else to find and I just think the way that that encourages, like, not just, like, the old curmudgeonly, like, get out of the house for one day, you know, go play outside, but also, like, the kind of community of it, the way that people connect about, like, oh, did you find the one, like, up over in the park or, you know, up in the, this trail or wherever. I think this has that same kind of appeal, you know, sort of motivating people to connect. In, in It's one of the ways, another way that, like, video games bring people together, and the fact that it happens in an exploratory fashion appeals to me even more. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think this might be the first uh, Pokemon game that is not on a Nintendo device. Is that? I think that might be the the case. And that's that in and of itself is noteworthy. But I, I agree with you that the the sort of get and out and about nature of the game is pretty cool. Although I heard that, uh, for example, Pikachu is going to be in Paris. So like, you know, got to collect them all, but. I, hey man, how easy is it to get to Paris? To get to Paris. No. <laughs> yeah, I I, you got to imagine that there's going to be ways for people to get their hands on sort of these rare ones, right? Be it by like, I don't know, trading or fighting uh, within the game proper or, you know, just because they put Pikachu under the Eiffel Tower doesn't mean Pikachu is not going to show up at like the 7-Eleven down the street for you <laughs> at some point. Yeah, with a hangover and uh, he's seen a, he's had a rough <laughs> m- night, you know. Uh, Christian, yeah, this this also has uh, an, a piece of hardware as part of the announcement, a Bluetooth-powered device called the Pokemon Go Plus, which is sort of a wristwatch slash pin that will help you find things. It will vibrate if you're near a Pokemon. Uh, what's your take on this, Christian? I think it's a, it's a smart, easy foray into this. Um, I, I think that a lot of the games using Go for their mobile version makes it confusing when they're not part of the same series. When you have Hitman Go, Tomb Raider Go, Pokemon Go, very different, <laughs> very different games. But HBO Go. HBO Go. Everyone is going with it. I, it hey, guys, buy my Hey-o. comedy album with hot <laughs> jokes like that. Um but I mean, I think it's a safe thing. It's a thing that's been proven to to work, and it works well with the IP of 
going and collecting them. I mean, that's what Pokemon is about. It's not as if all of a sudden it's, um, you know, Star Fox McCloud is <laughs> lost and got to go find his team. I mean, I guess that kind of works too, but it makes a lot of sense. And hopefully people enjoy it with all of these games, though. Um, you always have to put those warnings out, like uh, be safe, <laughs> don't trespass to get somewhere. Like that's the only thing for me that seems like a little outside of Nintendo typical wheelhouse when the, you know, Wiimote ended up coming with the the condom slip cover and the wrist strap and all of that stuff. I don't know quite the warnings that this game will come with it. Like, hey, right? uh, chill, bro. <laughs> like yeah, I like your it. parents before getting on the bus to go find <laughs> something. Look both ways before crossing the street. Don't just look at your, you know, your book, your go watch. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe though this is the setting for the wizard too. And instead of going to California, they're going to Paris. That Nintendo, you're welcome. Yeah, BRB mom. I'm off to Paris to get me a Pikachu. I like what Acorn Aho says in the chat here. He says, so many kids are going to walk into cemeteries looking for ghastlies. <laughs> I don't think, I think Nintendo's smarter than that. Uh, very cool, though. I, you know, I, I, I'm curious as to how the game plays, if it really is just, uh, you know, go to places. I'm, I would love to know more about the actual mechanic once you arrive in said location but um i'm curious i'm not a pokemon guy either but uh it is interesting and i love these args these sort of get out into the world and do stuff and i love geocaching so very cool uh christian how about you what's your story of the week well i think it might be yours too and i hate to step on your toes i've been doing that from time to time but um starcraft well we shouldn't be dancing so often well, I can't help it. You're such a good partner. Uh, look for Jeff and I on Dancing with the um, Video Game <laughs> Podcast hosts. <laughs> it's a spinoff of Dancing with the Stars. It's only audio, actually. You just hear us dancing yeah, this it, fall. You on, can tell we're terrible at it even in audio. So <laughs> On ABC Podcast app. Download it now. Um, StarCraft Two: Legacy of the Void. Hey, hey, Jeff and Chris, guess when that comes out? The day everything else does? <laughs> yeah. It launches November 10th. I mean, is this a game of, of brinksmanship by Blizzard just being like, oh, Fallout 4, you stole that date from Tomb Raider? Guess what? It's ours. Just, what do you think about this? Yeah. How do you like them apples? Um, so it's just days after BlizzCon, which I think is the main reason for why it comes out. And, you know, they, they revealed it uh, with an animated short, Reclamation, which... Um, you know, shows what's happening with the Protoss and offering a glimpse at the legacy of the Void story. The story, the story is back. They're doing the story. This is the story. Uh, it's been in beta for forever and it, it's coming. It's coming. November 10th. Starcraft 2 is not dead. New stuff coming. November 10th. Does this tree falling in a forest, does it make a noise? Is this big enough? Is the hype still there? Is Fallout is Fallout King of November tenth? Chris, after what's your months take? of after months of beta, will people still flock to the void? Yeah, I don't I know. Mean, I mean, it seems to me like like StarCraft is one of these games that's sort of built to uh, to draw people in and 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 over time and just kind of keep them there. It doesn't. Is it going to be the event playing right? Like when you're when it's November a November release time, you're trying to like get out ahead of the retail rush. You're going to, you're trying to like make a splash in one of the big busiest seasons. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like the the groups of people who are going to go for Starcraft two, you know, you have your sort of your hardcore players locked in already and they've been playing beta for a while and they're excited to see the new story stuff and, you know, and, and get live with all of it. But uh, in terms of what's going to be dominating, what, you know, 
certainly what we here at GameSpot are going to be talking about. I mean, that's going to probably be more like the Fallout 4s and the Tomb Raiders of the world, the stuff that's a little bit more, um, you know, Fallout 4 is going to have a long tail, Tomb Raider not so much. But I think StarCraft 2 is kind of in that Fallout 4 realm of, yeah, people are going to be digging into these units and playing Archon mode and like getting through the story, but then, you know, competing uh, for some time to come. So I'm not sure how big of a splash it's going to make that day. Yeah, I think you bring up a, an interesting point that, you know, th- there was a time when StarCraft was a much bigger deal than it is now. And I think that of even of Blizzard's properties, it's it's probably low on the list uh, with with fan anticipation at this point. Yes, there's the hardcore. Yes, there's the competitive scene still still for StarCraft. But uh, that has been usurped, I think, with MOBAs and and even with their other properties. I heard uh, anecdotally that the beta wasn't even very well um, populated, so that they were even having a hard time sort of drumming up free players for the beta. And I don't know how true that is or not, but I can certainly believe it. It feels like real-time strategy has waned just as a genre in general, and even StarCraft, which is the big dog on that block, uh, I don't know how much a long-delayed you know, sort of half sequel, episodic <laughs> sequel thing is going to, you know, revitalize that genre. So, Chris, do you think do you think RTSs in general um, are, uh, you know, dying or dead or are they going to are they going to need a, a time off for a while? I think, you know, you look at sort of RTSs and what has made uh, them popular, you know, like, and certainly in the public eye, one of the main ways we see them is when they surface in tournaments and competitive play and stadiums selling out in South Korea. Uh, You know, I think uh, the RTS otherwise tends to be a pretty, uh, you know, you're either playing competitively with like among a couple of friends or on your ladders or you're streaming, but like, it's sort of a turn inward kind of thing. Whereas you compare it to another game that at least looks similar and has a similar kinds of strategies involved MOBAs like league of legends and Dota two and the like immense popularity there to me, it makes it seem like, okay, I have a PC. I'm going to sit down. I want a, a strategy kind of uh, thing to do here. I feel like I see a lot of new players. It seems like they would graduate toward grad towards those MOBAs where they see so many people playing, where they're free to play, where they can get in and their friends, they can try it out and stuff. And there's not the sort of, uh, you know, certainly financial investment, but also like niche sort of targeting of, of the RTS. Now that said, like, you know, at GameSpot, like our PC users are like our hugest base. And so like people are always, always interested in any PC stuff uh, that we talk about, especially RTS things. So I think the audience is there. It just doesn't seem, you know, like I think you you make a good point. It doesn't seem quite as visible these days as certain other genres. Yeah. Uh, Sushi X in the sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Sorry, I was just going to mention that Sushi X in the chat here is bringing up that Halo Wars just got announced. So that there is definitely, you know, attention from other companies in Blizzard on that uh, genre as well. What were you going to say, Christian? Yeah, I don't know if it's quite a chicken or the egg thing. Like, there's not a lot of coverage or attention paid to these games currently, but there also aren't a lot of big budget, big marketed, hyped versions of these games coming out. And so maybe, you know, you have to trust the suits uh, have looked at the numbers and kind of like, "Eh, this, you know, we don't need to get in with this right now. This isn't the the hotness. Uh, MOBAs are tearing it up. But at the same time, you know, this is StarCraft. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. I mean, I think yeah. the reason that this is maybe 
a little more maligned than otherwise is because when the game launched, these things were promised and expected to come out soon, even though people seem to forget that this is kind of par the course with Blizzard. But at the same time, when the thing does come out, it's usually of the highest quality. So I don't know if there's not a lot of coverage on it, because what would GameSpot be writing? <laughs> you know, what would you guys be covering right now? <laughs> like, still no update. <laughs> comment <Yeah>. comment below. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. Yeah, you know, I, I I think that I'm one of the very few people that is perplexed by my buying decision on November 10th. I, I would suspect <laughs> that most of the people, most of the people aren't like, oh, I'm not going to buy StarCraft 2 because I am buying Fallout 4 Tomb Raider. I feel like those are different sub markets, but I could be wrong. I could be there could be many more people like me who have played all of those games and want to play all of those games again. I don't know. Um, as far as my story of the week, I was definitely tempted by that announcement. But um, I think this uh, announcement by Nintendo that just happened, um, announcing the the new company president replacing uh, the late um, Iwata. Um, they announced uh, Tatsumi Kishishima as the new president of the company. I think they did that this morning. Uh, he is somebody who is uh, a longtime Nintendo executive, a managing director since 2013. But before that, he was uh, a bunch of stuff. He he was Reggie's job before Reggie, and he did a lot of other stuff. He's sort of in uh, HR and all over the place. And it's funny because I, I looking up this guy and kind of finding out a little more about him this morning, I challenge anyone to find a picture of this dude where he's smiling, um, which <laughs> is – I don't know. You know, Iwata was such a, uh, a, a genial guy and had such a wonderful Nintendo aura around him and it just – he just – everybody liked him and he was always so positive and smiling and happy and even in his formal way, he I think he had – he projected an air of of friendliness and this guy certainly is not that at least from my eye um but there is a bunch of speculation at this point that this is not a long-term appointment that he since he's uh, already 65 years old approaching retirement age that this is just an interim appointment until they can find someone a, a little more exciting or to steer the company in a new course in a new era um chris what's your take on Nintendo's appointment of Tatsumi Kishishima. I, uh, you know, I think that what heartens me the most uh, about this appointment and about Kimishima is it Kimishima? Um, I'm is, sure I'm doing it wrong. I, I was, <laughs> you know, I'm doing my best here. <laughs> is uh, is that he is is his history with the company? You know, is his history in different roles? Uh, you know, from Pokemon to Nintendo of America to to managing Nintendo proper. It like. People who have long tenure within that company, like it just you're more saturated in that corporate culture. You're more, uh, you know, you're you're more sort of in tune with the successes and the you know, not so successful uh, things that Nintendo has done in recent years. But also, you've been working with guys like Iwata with Miyamoto, and you know, you that that sort of infuses your sensibilities about what the company should be or how it should be. And so you're making your decisions based from that kind of place. And, you know, before, I think before Iwata, was it Yamauchi was in charge or there was the Yamauchi family has like long been, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the founders of Nintendo, et cetera. But like, you know, that guy like did a lot. The most recent Yamauchi, uh, Hiroshi, uh, he did a lot for Nintendo over the years, especially through the DS, uh, you know, marketing and stuff like that. And 
he was a pretty stoic guy as well. So I think, you know, the lack of smiles is no reason to to necessarily think like, uh-oh, here comes yeah, the no. uh, gritty shooter uh, <laughs> dour era of Nintendo brought in. Well, it also, you know, it also took the chat room about four seconds to come up with a picture of him smiling. A wizard of video game just posted one. And so, you know, hey, I Googled a little bit this morning, but I, every picture that I saw was him just... <laughs> Sort of stoically standing there, but yeah, no, I, oh, I, yeah. I was more tongue in cheek. This one is between Mario and Sonic. Yeah, he's yeah. beaming, <laughs> <laughs> and apparently yeah. trying to steal Sonic's identification. Right. Uh, I like what Stats One says here in the chat room. He says, "Let's save all judgment until we see him design a Mario Maker level." And I think really that is the uh, <laughs> the level of of quality that we need from every executive in video games now. At this point, is can you design a Mario Maker level? I feel like that should just be the new standard for, like, anything where you need to pass any kind of test. You know, like, forget the SAT for college admissions. Right. Like, you could, you could opt out, design a Mario Maker level to impress the admissions committee, and then, you know, then you're in. Dear applicant, we played your Mario level, and it's not impressive. Uh, your application <laughs> to Stanford has been denied. Placement um, of invisible blocks, just so predictable. You know, we really <laughs> strive for a little more ingenuity in our prospective uh, attendees. But what you didn't notice is that if, if you looked at the invisible blocks and, and the negative space surrounding them, it says boobs. <laughs> <laughs> the negative space. Uh, that That's what my Twitter feed has turned into now is just like, Please judge me on my Mario Maker level. I will post the code. Please, this is my first try. Don't judge too harshly. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Nintendo, you know, this Pokemon thing and and the idea of them doing mobile games in earnest. It, it's all, it is a new era, um, and I think that's why a lot of the speculation is that uh, this is really not the guy that's going to be there uh, long term. That this is more of a, a short term shepherding into the new era, but. Well, that, we shall see. That's some of the speculation, you know, on, on Gaff and wherever. Where no one knows, but that this guy's brought into, you know, yeah, the next era. But the next era is, you know, under a different company and to really mm. broker the next era. Like this is a business savvy individual that now is the time to assess and whether they do or don't, but to really assess deals on the table. And, you know, did Apple are companies that constantly get thrown around. Um, if that makes sense for them to do it, because if someone's serving for five years, that's certainly time to get in. This guy knows the books, um, figure it out and, and figure out something much, much bigger than, uh, we're going to make Reggie the long-term president. And I don't, I don't think that will happen, but I mean, it seems like an opportune time to do it. They're between consoles. They know what they're coming out with next. Um, they kind of know what they have currently going on. And that's something that you can chop to, um, you know, investors and, or, companies that might be interested in buying up your IP. Well, anybody that thinks that Nintendo isn't doing well, uh, they announced this week that they have sold 7 million Amiibos so far, just in the United States. All to so, two people. I've bought four <laughs> and someone else has bought <laughs> 6.99 million. I do wonder uh, how many different people that is. Right. I mean, that's an impressive number. Don't get me wrong. That's huge. But that's it's not a million seller game. I wonder... What? What do you think What's the maximum the number of Amiibos one person owns is? Like All of, all of the Mi Amiibos, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, but how many are there then? Like, how, What's the complete set running at this point? Is it like 30? I, I really don't know. I was hanging out with a dude uh, last Friday uh, who got up that morning at 5 a.m. and made the rounds to Targets and Toys R Uses and got all of the new Amiibos. Um, mm -hmm. And that's just what, what he does, so... 
Oh yeah, no doubt that this has inspired like massive collectors to be doing their to be doing their amiibo grabbing, and it's, I think that it's really neat too to see this, and also with Disney Infinity, where you have people who aren't just a you have your amiibo collectors and your your sort of figure collectors who want the whole thing, they want the whole set, but then you have other people who are like, uh, look, I just want that eight bit Mario. I could yeah. care less about anybody else. Just give me that one. Like they, and there's so many in Nintendo's roster and also in Disney Infinity where people have their, their pre-existing sort of love for these characters that they target specific ones. And so I think that that's helped this kind of uh, multiply the, the desire for these things over a level that, like, say, Skylanders would have cultivated just because people have these pre-existing associations with these characters. They get, so that passion sort of seems even larger uh, you know, one person who's passionate about a Zelda amiibo, you know, doesn't care about any of the other ones, but they still, you know, shout it from the mountaintops. Sure. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think even on the on the Disney Infinity side, you have this entire massive community of just Disney fans that probably don't even play the game or care about the game. They just want more knickknacks for their paddy wagon. And they're good you know, sculpts. They're really, really nice. I think they're <laughs> way better than the amiibos. Yeah. Some of the amiibos are great. Some of them uh, leave some to, something to be desired, but the Disney Infinity stuff, I uh, I'm in deep. <laughs> are you all right? So what what's the deal? Do you have like a? Are they on display? Do you keep them in a case? What's your what's your storage situation? Well, the how freaky house, are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, a copy of Fifty Shades of Grey, and then a copy. Uh, there's a my false office. wall in the back of your house. <laughs> yeah, four knocks. My office is in a bit of disarray, but yes, the plan is that um, they will be displayed properly next to my black hold X-Wing that is currently still sitting in its box um, and other little knickknacks. But I, I like the fact that I can then drop Darth Maul onto the portal and run around and, you know, double end lightsaber, cut up some dudes with it. Droids, not dudes, let's be honest. Um, but they're good looking figures and I've yet to pay full price for any of them, um, which I think makes it nice too. And at 10 bucks a pop, I don't think that they're that overpriced for you know characters that i like the design of and that look good sitting on my shelf and i can also do something digitally with um that justify, vader justify, one justify, which justify. i know jeff canada has is really good looking really good looking yeah i, I, get, I can get that to your you. house anytime soon <laughs> yeah right <laughs> vader man stay away from my vader bro also boba fett is really is a really really i'm looking at him right now really 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 good yeah um, I don't, so Chris, you don't do any of this though. You you don't you're, you aren't bitten at all. I mean, do you have what what's your knickknacks? You're a a video game website guy. You have to have knickknacks. I have like no knickknacks. Uh, what? So I think part of it is living in a you know a, a very modest two bedroom apartment with my wife. We there's not a lot of display space at home that's not already taken up with photos or art or whatever. And then at the office, you know, I, I have a few things on my desk. Uh, the one that I am prominently displaying now is uh, the Emily Caldwin uh, figure from Dishonored 2 that I got from the Bethesda press conference at E3. She's next to the, like, orange-haired uh, Splatoon amiibo. I got this, like, power squad <laughs> going on my desk. But really, nice. like, the, the whole Disney Infinity thing, the whole, uh, you know, all of the... This like NFC activated stuff. I have I'm like vehemently resisting because not because I see that like I have this kind of obsessive personality where I would grab them. I don't <laughs> think that's my style really. Uh, just I don't know, man. Like I'm a li- I I'm a curmudgeon about these things. I think I feel like I look at them as 
toys, but toys that you can't really do anything with except look at or put next to your controller. Like I'm viewing them through the lens of my like rich action figure history when I was growing up with like He-Man, Transformers, Ninja Turtles and stuff. Not enough points of articulation, man. Yeah, right? That's that's exactly (laughs) what I'm thinking. But I think that's the wrong way to look at it, right? I see so many people loving it and so many people enjoying it. It's just my own personal take on it and the way that I'm kind of viewing it and maybe honestly deep down just keeping myself safe from what would be a, a tremendous space and financial sinkhole for me were I to go down that road. No, I mean, it's smart. I, I've given myself in my office, I have one shelf, uh, like one bookshelf, and that's where all of my stuff goes. And if I can't fit anything else on it, I, you know, I'm done or I'll sell stuff and, you know, rotate things on and off. But yeah, it's not, uh, it's not everywhere. Until you start I, collecting bookshelves and then you're done. <laughs> I do, uh, Chris, I do want to come over to your house though and then see the pictures you mentioned on your wall. See that the pictures you have on your wall are just pictures of Amiibo. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's just like video game posters everywhere. Total swagger. Um, let me bring up one last story here before we get out of the, uh, the uh, story of the week section, just because I want to get Christian's take on it. Christian, uh, former lawyer, no longer practicing, yada, 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 normal disclaimer. But uh, there is this, this interesting Kickstarter lawsuit that was uh, settled or that was uh, judged. What's the word I'm looking for? Was uh, adjudicated uh, recently um, in Washington State. This is the very first case of a Kickstarter campaign that did not meet its uh, its deadline, did not get its promised rewards out to the Kickstarter donators, and the judge said you have to uh, offer restitution. So I think this is a precedent setter, but Christian, I'm curious what, what you think. We've talked a lot on this show about Kickstarter, uh, both good and bad. Uh, this seems to be a very scary, dangerous precedent, no? It, it is and it isn't. I mean, it's it's broad paint strokes here. Broadly speaking, we're in this wild west of digital stuff, right? And from all the way to Uber and whether or not those are employees or independent contractors and how that's being handled and what you're free to contract and what you're not free to contract and then protecting end users and those people making those things. And you have these new business models that just simply didn't exist when so much of our old often archaic laws are being shoehorned into interpreting these things. I mean, the U.S. legal system is malleable and judges are constantly reinterpreting old cases, but at the same time, they're supposed to stand by the letter of the law and precedent in other cases. So what they're looking at is an old established law for a traditional type of sale or promise or offer and acceptance in creating a contract and what this thing is and whether or not that was violated but here when Kickstarter is saying, you know, yo, 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 this is nothing. Like, yeah, yeah they, they got to deliver something. But if they don't, well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's super interesting. I don't know if this will be the precedent that spreads around the country. Um, I'm hesitant to say that this will catch on. It's Washington State Court. I think you'd need something a little larger than that to really shake this tree to make it change. Because at the well, end of the, the day, press release, the press release said that they encourage consumers in other states to file a complaint with their attorney general. So they want it to spread like wildfire. Of course. Yes. And I mean, Washington is is often known for their consumer protection. Um, 
But the, I think the question for me, and having not dove in and, and read the briefs in this case, just kind of skimmed the the press release and a little bit of the judgment, um, is what your expectations are when you go into placing, to donating, to giving on Kickstarter, and whether or not you've entered into a contract for this thing or the expectation of deliverance and, and that type of thing is the interesting thing that will get shaken out. And oftentimes, lower courts do what they want, <laughs> you, you know what I mean, when it's new law. And then we'll see it get hammered back and forth um, as they appeal. The, the sad part for this, too, though, is just because a judgment has been rendered, um, oftentimes collecting said judgment is um, difficult to do. What's your take on this, Chris? Are, are you um, have you donated to Kickstarters? Do you feel like there is should be legal backing up of uh, enforcement of of the promised rewards of a Kickstarter uh, campaign? What, what do you think? I feel like at this point with Kickstarter, you got to go in with taking it with a grain of salt. And I haven't contributed to a Kickstarter. Uh, you know, I was of the mindset like, this seems really cool. I'm glad that it's, even if there's something I like, I'm glad it's getting support. Uh, I'll wait and see what comes out of the project before I choose to support it financially. But I think it's, I think with things like Kickstarter and with Patreon, like, I think it's just wonderful to see venues for people to be able to support creators and artists out of established models of this retail store or this gallery or this, uh, this big website that pays a salary. You know, like I think that having those models in place is just like an incredibly vital kind of invigorating uh, way for art to be art to flourish in our country and across the world. Uh, So I like that that, is possible. And I do think that it's okay if people who, you know, like as long as it's laid out very clearly ahead of time, it's okay for you to, for Kickstarter to be a bit of a risk for you to be like, look, I'm mm-hmm. backing you, but there's a possibility you might not get anywhere. Of course, the other side of that is like, what's to, to stop people from just totally fleecing people on Kickstarter, right? And that's, I think, mm-hmm. where this legislation comes in because you can have people who go on there who are, like, trying to make their dreams happen and so earnest and so, like, really, like, well-intentioned. And then you can have people go on there who are like, <laughs> check this out. All I have to do is make up a few screenshots, get a gift together. These people are going to pay me, like, $10,000. It's great. Uh, and then take the money and run. So, there does need to be some kind of protection against that. I just really hope it doesn't come at the expense of, you know, the opportunity and maybe to, to support someone, to support a project that is outside of the direct line from I pay for thing, I get thing. You know, as long as everyone going in kind of has, it's clear what the risks are involved. Boy, I think that is very well said and I completely agree. Uh, I think that's, um, yeah, that's exactly how I sit on this issue as well. It, and I always encourage people not to think of Kickstarter as some sort of pre-sale or storefront situation. I, I think that you are you are donating. You are donating your money in the hope that this thing will happen. And you, I think you have to go into it with that mindset of, hey, I'm doing something that I that I want to support with my dollar, not because I want something back. If I get something back, that's a bonus. And I think Kickstarter itself would be better to to make that much more a part of their messaging, uh, you know, in, in bold at the top. Uh, yeah. I, I think you make great points. Um, let's move on. But I, first, I do need to thank our first sponsor, which is Linda. Oh, my gosh. This is – I love it when Linda sponsors the show because it's a, a concept that I really support, learning. 
and learning in a clear, easy, efficient way. Uh, I'm always trying to expand my knowledge base about things or I'm encountering problems and I need a quick and easy way to find the solution. YouTube is a place you can go and find stuff, but you're sifting through all kinds of people who don't really know what they're talking about or a, a person that really doesn't know how to make a video about the exact thing that you want. And you have to watch a whole bunch of information about stuff you already know to get to the nugget of the stuff you don't know. And oftentimes it's not for a version of the software that's current. Uh, it's a hassle. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A.com is the antithesis of that. Linda has so much content. There's over 3,000 on-demand video courses that are over a whole range of topics, business technology, software, creative skills. They have pretty much anything you need to know or want to know. There's a class, and it's taught by an expert in the field, somebody that knows how to make a clear, succinct, easy-to-understand video. And even better, all the videos are transcribed, and you can search by keyword. So if you want to get to a very specific point, point, you can search the transcript, and then it'll sync up with that exact moment in the video so you don't have to watch any stuff that you don't need to watch. It's fantastic. Topics include video game creation. You can learn all about HTML5. You can learn about Maya, 3D Studio Max, modeling characters, designing stuff, programming itself. It's awesome. You're getting a wealth of information. And the best part is we're going to give you 10 days to test it out completely free. If you go to lynda.com slash DLC, that's L Y N D a.com slash DLC. You can get a 10 day free trial and then you get your complete run of the site. Anything you want to check out any of the 3000 courses with all kinds of stuff. There's language, there's photography, there's uh, you know, even simple stuff. There's web design, just like using word and Excel stuff that you might, think you know, but there's extra information that you can glean that'll help you out in your everyday life. And you get your entire run of the site. So you get all the dense stuff and the easy stuff all in one. Lynda.com slash DLC. Check it out. I think you're going to like it. It's lynda.com slash DLC. And it also lets them know that you listen to our show, which is fantastic too. All right, guys. Uh, I'm excited to talk uh, about what we've been playing. So let's get to the playlist. So many games to play right now. We're not even in the meat of the fall release schedule yet. And I feel like I'm drowning in awesome games, which is the really the best thing to be drowning in. Um, Chris, what, what's on your playlist? Uh, this weekend, I played a lot of Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain, uh, which I heard you guys talking about a bunch last week. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, uh, right? It's, it's, it's really awesome. And, uh, you know, I am not a big Metal Gear fan at all. Uh, I played Metal Gear Solid 4, did not really like it, played the Twin Snakes before that, which was uh, admittedly, like, maybe not the best choice, but not, not a big Metal Gear fan. Uh, so... I went into this one. I'm like, all right, I'm going to give this a try. Everyone is raving about it. I can't not. We gave it a 10 out of 10 here on GameSpot. And I had a fantastic weekend playing it because I figured something out about my own Metal Gear style, Metal Gear Solid style that like really freed everything up for me. Mm -hmm. And that is, all right, I'm going in. I want to do some stealth. I have my Trank Dart. I, you know, I'm trying to get those uh, tactical takedowns with CQC. And I like to play that way. I like to be sneaky. But I don't like uh, feeling like when I mess something up or I, 
I, I blow some sneak job and then I have to like either run away or hide in a box for like 30 minutes and then everything resets and I'm good to go. I realized, okay, like if it goes loud and everyone is like all like trying to shoot at me and stuff, I, I just need to like shoot back. I need to I'm not just like, I'm not uh, like stand like, up for yourself, man. Right. It's kind of laughable to think that I didn't like make this connection, but I was going in with like a silenced assault rifle and I was just like, once things got loud, I was shooting people, but it wasn't as effective as I needed it to be. So I started going to missions with like, just my primary weapon is a grenade launcher or a <laughs> shotgun. <laughs> like, listen, if it's not stealthy, it's all the way blowing stuff up. And I had these wonderful moments of like, all right, so I'm trying to go into this this village and assassinate these three Soviet leaders. And I get in, I've got my new like stun SMG I'm going to try out, hiding under a bridge. These guys are looking at me. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to shoot them with these bullets a bunch and stun them. Well, unless you're like hitting them in the head, you're, what you're doing is shooting a guy's legs with rubber bullets. So, of course, he's going to freak the heck out. And <laughs> that's what happened. And they all started shooting me. So I like, get up, I run, I burst into this room. Lo and behold, there's one of my targets. I shoot him with a shotgun. Uh, and then like I'm running through the others, I'm chasing these guys down and then, uh, I'm running away. I'm getting out of there and I'm just sprinting away. And it's like, I feel like I have just blown this mission. Like I killed the guys. Sure. But like, I should have like brought them back to mother base. Like I could, you know, they probably have some pretty good stats. I'm feeling a little bad about it, but then it might like rating comes up. It's my first S rank mission. Of my whole <laughs> <life>. <laughs> just cause I oh, went in like awesome. some action hero. And so then I'm like, all right. Yeah, yeah, like lean into this. If it goes wrong when you're trying to rescue a prisoner, call in some helicopter support and just like start killing everyone willy-nilly. And like it seems like the simplest thing, but my brain had this like stealth block on it coming from Metal Gear Solid 4. And like removing that block just made me have a, a ball this weekend. I love the idea of you, you know, of your your big boss, your version of big boss, uh, you know, in, in the mission briefing, like, uh, he's like, uh, are you you gonna you gonna go in and stealthily uh, extract those guys, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah, totally, I totally am. Why are you bringing that rocket launcher? No reason, no reason. And then he's like, he's on the in case, you know. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Oop, oops, I knocked over a pot. They probably heard me. Rocket launcher. What rocket launcher? The the the, the one you're holding, boss. Uh, you're being reassigned. Oh, boss. <laughs> But I think you're absolutely right, man. The the thing that is so incredible about this game to me is the wealth of options. You have options all the time. And you, you bringing up, you know, oh, yeah, why don't I just call in a helicopter strike? Or, you know, there's there are so many things you can do at any given time that I, you have to disavow yourself of this feeling of I have a plan and I need to stick to that plan. And if I don't do that plan, I fail. And I think oftentimes, as you said – the ranking system at the end of the missions, I think we all f sort of internalize as being how well did you do at being stealthy rather than how effective did you make the mission? And the game seems to be saying, hey, we don't care how you do it. As long as it's effective, we'll, we'll give you a high rank. And I, that's pretty amazing to me. Yeah, it was great. And uh, just like just knowing that about myself and knowing that about playing it like has really made me relish a game and a, and a character that I like had no particular affinity for coming in uh, at all. And also like all that mother base stuff and all the Ful Fulton in guys out, like I'm definitely getting a little bit of like, got to catch them all kind of itch, but not <laughs> so strongly that I don't mind shotgunning some dudes in the face. Right. Uh, you're still playing it too, right, Christian? Yeah. I, I mean, I think Chris, you've embraced and 
the way that I enjoy playing this game, and I know, Jeff, I tweeted to you an article that Patrick Klepek wrote over on Kotaku about just letting go of this desire to, you know, execute this plan or have this game be what you think it should be. And all of these tools are included in this game for a reason. Use them. Do you guys know that you can get on your horse and ride into a compound and just shoot everybody while you're riding on your horse and then you can run out on your horse and jump off a rock and your horse goes <laughs> and then the sun sets in the background you know you can do that it's yeah, incredible yeah. it's incredible you can also run up on your horse trank a bunch of dudes just hit them once and then it takes them a little while to fall asleep then they then you run away then they fall asleep and you come back in your horse and you just put balloons on dudes and send them all the way up into the air while you tranked dudes from a horse and then you balloon them away. This game's crazy in all the right ways. You can also go prone and crawl through the bushes for two hours to complete a mission without anybody seeing you and get a guy out of prison. I mean, the the wealth of options. And I think, too, the way this game is structured with, man, I do hate the credits over and over again. But the, the instanced missions within this open world are different than the uh, than the other Metal Gears in the sense that you can go in and call in a helicopter strike and take out everybody in this um, plant or research facility or wherever you are in a different way than in Metal Gear Solid 2. You're in this building for much of it on the fourth level in hallways. You don't know what's in another level. You got to be stealthy because you've been stealthy through the last 10 rooms. And if you get caught by this next guy, you're Pac-Man cornered by four ghosts, right? There's no way out. This game, you mm-hmm. almost always have an out, even if it's just running away and spending some of your money to call in a supply drop with new weapons. I mean, you can reshuffle your deck midway through a mission and then just go in guns blazing. Um, yeah, I think letting go of your preconceived notion of what this game is or how you're going to play a mission is the smartest thing. That being said, still make a plan, but then just let it go if it goes awry. And I don't think you need to worry just about Just like life, it- man. Just like life. I wish I could follow that more in real life like I do in the video game. <laughs> but yeah, Jeff, have you have you come to terms with this game or is it still loving you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If only I could bring bring the rocket launcher of life on my missions, you know? <laughs> the next pitch meeting I have, I just walk in with a grenade launcher. <laughs> set it on the table. I'm just prepared for things for to go meeting. wrong. I just don't know how it's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Scary. Uh, um Here's my thing, guys. Is it possible? I think it's possible. I'm in this position where I I truly think Metal Gear Solid Five is one of the best games ever. I think it is a one of those tentpole games in the history of game design. But it's also not the most fun game I've played this year. Nor is it the most fun game I played this week. Um, I... <laughs> I've been playing Metal Gear Solid, but I, I have to admit, I got my attention diverted. I was I was having a conversation with my friend, friend of the show, Dan Trachtenberg, who I was saying, oh, man, isn't Metal Gear Solid 5 amazing? Wow, yes. And he was like, dude, have you played Mad Max yet? And I was like, no, I've kind of heard mixed things about it. He's like, dude, play Mad Max. And I was like, but Metal Gear Solid is so good. And he's like, play Mad Max. So I put about eight hours into Mad Max this week. It is awesome, you guys. It's awesome. It is so... Yes! I don't understand the mixed reviews for this. I I understand that people are saying that it's tedious, but I feel like that's more of an indictment of the whole 
open world genre than anything else. I mean, it's tedious in the same way that any other open world game is tedious in that there are missions that you have to do out in the world and there's only a few different types of those missions. But I, you know, my favorite movie so far this year is, is Fury Road. And I think it's very difficult to convey a sense of the Mad Max movies in a video game. And it certainly has been a curse of video games historically to be based on an IP. This, I think, is one of the best make you feel like a movie video games I've ever played. I feel like Mad Max. I feel like I'm living in that world. It's brutal in the same way Mad Max is brutal. The 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 resource systems and all, all the systems make sense in that world and make you feel like water is precious and that scrap is precious and that fuel is precious. And it is as visceral and, and brutal as all of those, those movies. The, the game is awesome. And uh, I think that it probably... The, the thing that hurt it the most was coming out on the same day as a game that is one of the greatest games in the history of video games. If it had come out, I think at a different time, I think more people would be talking about it because I'm having a blast with it. So let me just give a little rundown of what Mad Max is. So uh, it's not, it's not trying to tell the same story as the movie. You're a different character in that world. That's very Maxian. Um, but you're basically just trying to build the coolest car you can. And you have to go around the world and uh, each section of the world is being um being um ruled by a, an overlord a vicious warlord and you kind of have to take each area down and reduce the influence it's 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 very much a formula that has been done in open world games before but the ways that you do that i think are executed extremely well in this game you know you're you're toppling towers you're destroying cars the car combat is awesome you have this grappling hook you also have this giant sniper rifle rifle on the back of your car that you can snipe dudes from. The grappling hook, you can, you know, you can be in these cool car chases and grappling hook the door off a car and then grappling hook the driver of the car right out of the car or grappling hook a, a wheel off the car. Uh, the, cars are driving down the road and then a car will like start shooting flames out the back of it. So you have to avoid it. You know, you're chasing it, but you have to avoid the flames. It is kinetic and amazing and feels different than anything I've ever done in a video game. It, there's so many games that have ripped off Mad Max, you know, texture-wise, the, the films, I mean, um, you know, like Borderlands and other games. And yet this this game doesn't feel like any of those. It really carves out its own unique feeling in that world, and it feels very Mad Max. And I'm going in these massive structures and fighting guys in a very visceral fighting uh, sort of Batman, but done in a much rougher way. Uh, and then, you know, I'm infiltrating their their cool like oil tankery base and then there's like an underground part of the base that i'm exploring and collecting scrap and building stuff it's awesome i don't see how this game isn't tedious to you where arkham knight you found tedious this game i think does car combat well but becomes so repetitive it's instant after instant of it's this go to this thing do this thing this this thing which most open world games often are but I felt with very little story payoff to keep you motivated through it. I, I just, I love that. I get that you love the IP. Maybe that's the difference is that Batman is more important to me than Mad Max is. And maybe Mad Max is more important to you or seeing this I, beloved IP to you realized in a well-made game for the first time is, is giving you rose-colored glasses. But I have a hard time believing that you didn't finish Arkham Knight and you've put, what, eight to ten hours into Mad Max? That blows my mind. Yeah, I guess I guess because uh, it didn't really feel like you know I, I loved Arkham Asylum and I loved Arkham uh, City and I finished both of those games. It, it was just sort of maybe 
this feels a little fresher and different. Uh, although, you know, I can understand people's criticism that it is, it is that formula, but I think that formula done in a really interesting way. And I'm, I'm enjoying the texture of the world. I'm enjoying the feeling of, of, uh, desperation that the game really conveys well of having to have fuel and, and having to have water and, uh, your health not coming back, you know, it doesn't renew your health. You ha- you have to drink water in order to get your health back. And so you have to make really interesting decisions uh, about things. Um, I think, I think it does what it does really, really well. It's not reinventing anything like Metal Gear Solid five, I think has, but it, what it does, I think it does really well. And it, I think it's getting a lot of criticism based on people having played those kinds of games a lot, but it, it it does that kind of game really well. It is certainly not an average game, in my opinion. I think it's getting piled on in reviews the way that The Order did, in the sense that I know different types of games, different genres, but there were expectations and then slow reveals and then people trying to figure out what is this game, and then the game came out and didn't live up to expectations of what people had maybe created for it, and also coming out so close to Metal Gear, another open-world desert-themed game, and Arkham Knight, a game that invented the combat and arguably does it tighter. I know the animations are rough and you're supposed to be max and you're, you know, a brawler or whatever, but I, I think that it's not a five if you're on a scale of one to, you know, one to 10, but, uh, you know, a 7.9, something like that. Chris, have you spent any considerable time with Mad Max? No, but Jeff had me at car grappling hook, so I'm intrigued yeah. now. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, it's Jeff awesome. Jeff also hates Just Cause 2. So, oh, yeah, man. but this is the same guys that, that made that. This is Avalanche. So, yep, yep. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like it put me in that world really well. It does really a lot of really smart things. Like you've got this you've got this grease monkey character that you meet at, right at the beginning of the game. And he's sort of your companion. He, he's helping you build all these cars and trick them out and everything. And so, you're, you know, you're fighting your cars. And anytime you stop and get out of your car, which you do a lot to do things, he automatically jumps out and starts repairing your car. Little stuff like that, it, it's like, oh, they really thought that out. It, it makes a whole lot of sense. It's awesome. And everything sort of behaves the way you think it should. And taking down these awesome structures feels like it feels in the movies. It, it's, I don't know, it's very cool. My only IP knock on it is Max never takes down this many things in the movies, which I know well, it's sure. a game, but like Mad Max was like, I got to get to this one thing and get this one water. You know, and it's like that is the struggle for Max for this epic journey. And really, what does he do? Even in Fury Road, it's like I don't want to spoil it because you haven't seen it. Watch it. But like, what what do they do or accomplish in that? Um, and this is the you know it's the bigger, more blowy upier version of that. Where I don't know if you could do. I guess Alien Isolation tried to do that again, different genre, different thing. But like containing what would happen in a movie into a game experience, I think that's an interesting, um, difficult thing to do. Uh, also, the people in the chat room that are saying I hate DC Comics, uh, no, no, not true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's it has grabbed me in a way. You know, I, I was talking about Batman Arkham Knight uh, in this very nebulous way, but it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Is that I sat down with it and I turned it on because it was the game I wanted to play that week, and. An hour in, I was like, I really could be playing something else right now. I want to go play Heroes of the Storm. I'm out. <laughs> with, with Metal Gear Solid Five. I sat down and was like, okay, well, I have, you know, I have a little while. Let's just see what this is like. And like two hours later, I'm like, oh, my God, one more mission, one more mission. 
And that's how I am with Mad Max as well, is that I, I sat down with it and was like, well, Dan told me to check this out. I'm going to check it out. And, you know, two hours later, I'm like, one more mission, one more mission. And and that's a very unspecific way to talk about things. And, and I, I need to focus on wh- why that happened. But I can say for certain that that happened and, and it gets its hooks in me and, I, and I'm having fun and I'm and I'm curious about what's around the next corner and what the next upgrade is going to be and stuff. And I wasn't that way with Batman. Chris, what's your ideal game? Like if you have free time, you're not reviewing like genre or type. Um, what do you sit down and look forward to playing the most broadly speaking? Oh, my goodness. What a question. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, I mean, it it changes based on uh, my mood, you know, like there are times when I really just want some cutthroat competition. And then so a competitive FPS is my jam. There's other times when I want to just like be lost in a world, uh, you know, just immerse myself somewhere where I can like, you know, I can get get hectic with some combat or just explore. And that's why The Witcher 3 to me is like one of the top contenders for my personal game of the year. Uh, Lately, like, I just like, I want to, I'm like, hey, I have time to play a game. What game is like giving me the most satisfaction at this point? And it's Rocket League. uh, Because that game is phenomenal. And I wouldn't have ever, like, if you asked me this question before Rocket League came out, I wouldn't be like, I'm really jonesing towards like a game that's like sports, (laughs) but not really sports. (laughs) I never would have thought that. But the fact that like, Rocket League is so stellar, and I hope you guys. It seems like you guys have extolled the virtues of it on this uh, this podcast before, but um, you know, it really it varies widely. And I think you know, I gave a, a couple examples just then that are like top of their class, stellar games. But I think to Jeff's point about what draws him into Mad Max is something that I really enjoyed grappling with when I was primarily like writing reviews for Gamespot, and that's this sort of realm of the on a ten point scale, it's like a right it's not it's not into the like seven to ten narrow window of like a lot of a lot of critical consent not you know a user consensus being like if it's outside the seven to ten range it's just not worth playing i think that's a total fallacy and i think that like there are games that you that can sink their hooks into you and that can intrigue you for for whatever reason for whatever things they do well and they can still have a bunch of flaws and be repetitive and like uh like have their problems that other people can point to and then point to other games and say, well, this game does this way better. Why aren't you just playing that game? You know, I think that there are games that, that may not be critical darlings or, you know, massively popular for whatever reason, but still offer this kind of experience that it just hits you at the right time. You're in the right mood. It's, it's, it's fresh for you in a way it's, it's resonating with something that you're feeling in a way. And like, you just get into it and you have a great time playing it and you don't, you know, you can get into arguments about like why it's good and why it's, you know, why the limitations don't get boggy down. But at the end of the day, when you're choosing what you want to play for your playtime, the best argument is I'm just having a great time with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and speaking of that, you, you had definitely have some other games on your playlist that I'm intrigued by. Is there any other, any other game you want to bring up? Uh, yeah, I've been, I was at, so I was at PAX prime and somebody, and I do not know who it was, uh, recommended to me a game called Armello. Uh, and basically saying it's like a board game, but it's a video game. And it's like, 
you're all furries trying to conquer the kingdom, and uh, there's like cards in combat and subterfuge, and it's really cool. And uh, however they said it intrigued me, I'm not sure that was the best pitch that I just did right there. But uh, Armello is a game by an Australian developer that's, you know, you play on a hex-based board, and in the center of the board, uh, you know, sort of vaguely Catan-esque, uh, in the center of the board is a king who is slowly dying. Uh, and you and three other characters are trying to angle for the throne. Uh, there's a couple different ways to win. You can defeat the king in combat. You can have the highest prestige when the king dies. Um, and you, or you can, and there's a couple different, or you can like collect all these spiritual stones to cleanse the king. So a couple different victory vectors. Uh, and you know, you play predominantly, it's, it's a, it's pulling cards into your hands and spending magic or coins to use them. And it's, uh, getting into combat or perils. And it's determined by a dice roll. So there's no reason why this game couldn't be couldn't be a board game. It just happens to be a board game realized in video form. And I've been enjoying it. Like the aesthetic is neat. There's like uh, you know sort of a couple different decks of cards. There's there's items you use in combat. Then there's spells you can play. And then there's trickery cards which you can sort of play these little booby traps on hexes so that players have to encounter these perils uh, when they get there. And so your game is as much about sabotaging other players as it is sort of angling for the throne yourself. And it's playable online competitively. I've only played against the CPU so far, and I think I probably won't do that again after about four or five games against the CPU trying to get different victories. Uh, the CPU always ends up taking a shot at the king and dying, and then because I just happen to have the most prestige, I win. Uh, so I'm, I need a little bit more of a competition if I'm going to go back to it, but... It's pretty cute and it's pretty endearing and a game takes about uh, 50 to 60 minutes to play through uh, once you get the hang of it. So it's like I've been playing it while I'm eating lunch uh, for the past week. I've been enjoying it. You know, I, if I had a nickel for every person that's uh, tweeted me or sent me an email saying, Jeff, you got to play Armello. And I so feel so bad that I haven't tried it yet. Uh, but, but people seem to think it would be right up my alley, too. I'm glad to hear that it's uh, it's cool. I'm, I got to yeah. check it out. I really do. Yeah, I think you'd enjoy uh, it, especially given your uh, yeah your proclivity for the board games. Right, exactly. Um, what about Lara Croft Go? Are you uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, yeah, I've been playing that, and so this is the the, the caveat here is I I didn't play Hitman Go. Uh, I heard everyone raving about it and so excited about it. I didn't get around to downloading it, but uh, I had a bunch of travel this past month, and so I was like, all right, let me let me get into this Lara Croft Go, and it's pretty neat. So the the idea is like. You're looking at a map, and it's a map of a tomb or a dungeon. And uh, but it's your, Laura is the size. Of, you know, it looks like she's like action figure size, and you're moving her along set lines. And every sort of step you take uh, can also trigger other things in, in the environment to move. So like you walk forward one unit, a spider walks forward one unit on the spider's path, or you know you walk in front of a lizard and the lizard sees you, and so. Or you walk and a platform moves or a buzzsaw moves or you have to, and there's switches and stuff. So it's, it's a puzzle game. It's about figuring out which moves where. It's not an action game in the way that Tomb Raider games are, but it has that Tomb Raider flavor because you're just because of the setting and the art um, and sort of the environmental puzzles that you undertake, which are really just boiled down to you deciding like which way you should move to manipulate the various environmental elements. And I'm enjoying it. It's pretty neat. It's like, uh, you know, it's not blowing my mind or anything. It's not uh, the next, you know, revolution in mobile gaming or anything. But in terms of like a, a, a lovely looking sort of puzzle game 
that you can do. You know, it's very, it's nicely segmented, uh, you know, in that mobile game way where, like, you know, you have 10 minutes, you play a level or two, or, you know, so I commute by train to work, so I knock out a bunch of levels on there. Um, and, yeah, I've been digging it. Have you guys played uh, Hitman Go or Lara Croft Go? This, any of these sort of, like, it, these, like, distillations of another another franchise into, like, a very different format, but still kind of has a spiritual connection to it. I haven't, but I think you have, right, Christian? I played with a little bit of of Hitman Go, and, and what I love about the games, and, and Chris, I think you explained well. It, it's just to, to me, I almost feel like this is the design doc for those games. If that, like the the Big Brother version of these games, if that makes sense, where it's like in those games, everything is happening in real time, but at some point there's a level of code saying that this is the path that this spider is going to take. And then you're doing your input and whatever. And I think it's neat. I almost feel like I'm playing the, um, you know, really, really pulled back far away version of this game where it's like, now it looks like slow motion because in real life, we're all just holograms existing on this plane of existence. And what are we, if we look really far away, but if you were to zoom down on Hitman go or speed it up, it would, or, or Tomb Raider go, it looks like, you know, a version of the actual game. Um, if that makes any sense at all. And also you're high <laughs> and you're so high, bro. Um, but they're well-made They're they're Um, uh, again, I like the art design they chose for like the kind of figurine approach they took to them. Um, and you can kind of get in and out of games without killing your battery or, or spending too, too much time, like a good, you know, doctor's office wait, <laughs> you could, you can get through a level. I mean, I, I like what, um, square Eidos is doing in this space. I, I'd like to see them do more of it and other companies kind of jump on this bandwagon too. I, I would not mind if this idea was stolen with characters that are a little more, I'm a little more fond with, <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it's really, it's really cool. And I'm glad that they expanded it with, with Tomb Raider. Yeah. And to your point about this feeling like a design doc, I think that's, that's totally accurate. You know, you're, you're visualizing a board where it's like, okay, square one is player enters the room. What can, what can a player do in a uh, Laura Croft? Well, they could like, uh, run up this ledge. They could uh, shoot this enemy. They could uh, investigate this item. And you're sort of seeing a flow chart that is steps. And then that's those are the sort of analogous to the steps you're taking in this game. So yeah, like wouldn't it be like wouldn't it be really neat if you start see, like other developers are taking their the sort of basic tenets of their game and boiling it down and being like, well, actually, like this could be a neat little game in and of itself. It's because it almost feels like you're privy to the design session. You know, you're you're in on an earlier a lower creative floor. You know, you're getting getting another ground floor kind of situation, and just gives you a really interesting lens into, or you know, what I imagine to be a lens into the game development process. The caveat being, I've never developed a game in my life, so I have no idea. (laughs) Right. Uh, well, I definitely want to get to your uh, playlist, Christian, uh, but I do need to thank our second sponsor, which is Pond Five. If you're producing online content. There is no better creative resource than Pond5. They have video clips, motion graphic templates, music, sound effects, everything you might need, and it's all royalty-free. It's really, really cool. And Pond5 supports its uh, global community of artists with some of the highest payouts in the industry, meaning you'll always find the highest quality and most diverse content. It gets you your media whenever and wherever you need it. It's fast and affordable, and it's a one-stop shop. So you need, if you need music, if you need graphics, if you need video, if you need images, it's all in one place, and that place is Pond5. So check it out, pond5.com. That's P-O-N-D-5.com. 
We're excited to have them on as a new sponsor. So check them out, pond5.com for all of your media needs. All right, Christian, what is, uh, what's on your playlist other than MGS5? Old but goody. It's kind of, yeah, it's, it's kind of been my go-to lunch game or if I have a backpack or a bag with me, I've been throwing my Vita in. I spent a lot of time with my 3DS when I was traveling and I decided to give that a rest and dive back into the wonderful world of Vita. And Geometry Wars 3 was a PlayStation Plus free game, I think maybe two months ago now. Uh, I forget exactly, but I know I had it sitting on the system and hadn't opened it up. Man, I love it. It it Geometry Wars, if you don't know anything about it, was an original Xbox Live arcade game on the Xbox 360. Kind of took the world by storm and, and gave Xbox Live Arcade its reason to exist. You know, it was, the proof is in the pudding. We can have great small, what, 200 megabyte, whatever file size restriction they had back then um really awesome fun experiences with these with these games and we don't need to be triple a blockbusters geometry wars 2 expanded on things wasn't i think as big of a hit per se while it maybe was a better game it just came out later and i think geometry wars 3 is kind of suffering that same fate where now this it's a twin stick shooter you know left stick moves your ship around right stick you're shooting guys around you and kind of waves of enemies coming at you and there's been so many others of these games that do it also really well super stardust hd and the playstation 3 it had beta iterations um so i think geometry wars 3 kind of came out and people are maybe burned out by it uh but it's really fun there's a classic mode still on the vita or on the geometry wars 3 version of the game which i think is perfect for that you're out somewhere and you have a little bit of time to kill and let's fire this thing up instead of playing you know, a game on your phone you might not like that much or checking Facebook for the 15th time. Uh, no one's posted anything that new or great. <laughs> Try a new experience. Um, and I think the Vita controls aren't perfect. You know, the thumbsticks on the Vita certainly aren't the best thumbsticks ever created. But I give that a little bit of a pass in that I'm playing a very beautiful version of this game at the movie theater before the trailers start or something like that. So I'm willing to sacrifice exact precision for playing it on the go. And then what Geometry Wars 3 kind of added was this campaign mode that when I read about it, I was a little more like, that seems dumb. Uh, (laughs) But what I think now spending some time with it, I would almost liken it to the achievements in the first two games where pacifism, you know, clear level, survive for two minutes without shooting anyone or challenges that people would make up online and then say, oh my gosh, look what I did. I did this thing. I only use bombs and I made it this long. And to some extent, I feel like the campaign is even further gamifying that type of thing where they've created new characters and these checkpoints and um, that you fly through. And if you fly through 10 checkpoints, it triggers a bomb. And how long can you survive doing that? Or how long can you survive without shooting a shot or only shoot, um, I believe it's the pink diamonds or, you know, things like that, that change what is the game that you know and love, kind of like what people are doing with Mario Maker levels, right, where it's all of a sudden you don't want to get a mushroom because once you get a mushroom, you're too big for the level and you hit the spike that you otherwise wouldn't hit. So it's taking this game, this formula, you know, and just putting a slight twist on it to make you to make your brain kind of short circuit for a second. Um, but it's Geometry Wars 3. It's been out for a while, but I think if you've overlooked it and you have it free on your account, um, dive in. Chris, have you did you spend any time with this game? Is this something that were you a Geometry Wars guy? I would buy that game if it was just pacifism mode because that is <laughs> the greatest innovation in like twin stick shooting in the past decade. I don't know. That's a crazy hyperbole, hyperbolic statement. But 
Citizen <laughs> mode is like my favorite thing in Geometry Wars 2 Retro Evolved. We were so into that here in the office. And I think that's one of the like wonderful things. You know, the leaderboard chases, obviously, like if you can get into it with some friends, it's so, so good. But I was in a leaderboard chase with myself with pacifism. And if you guys don't know this mode, it's specifically uh, you're flying around the field. You can't shoot. You don't shoot. You just maneuver. And the only things that spawn on the field with you are blue enemies that slowly swarm towards you, wherever you are, and these little barbell gates that you have to, uh, they look like barbells with a white line and orange ends. If you hit the orange ends, you die. Uh, if you hit the white, if you break the white line, it, the, the barbell explodes and kills any, any enemies nearby. So basically you're just like running around, waiting for these gates to spawn, trying to take an angle, go through the gate, blow up the enemies that are following you, collect all the geoms to multiply your score and like bigger and bigger and like cutting it closer and closer. And it's like, it's like the best stunt flying experience <laughs> I've ever had. Like, that's what you feel like. Cause you're like, I can make it through. Or like when you do make it through, it just feels so good. Cause so many enemies die. Uh, yeah, so I like Geometry Wars is, uh, I guess, a short answer to your question. <laughs> yeah, awesome. it's it, it's great. And I think it is, for whatever reason, at least for me, overlooked as like, oh, more of the same. We've played enough of these. and But the new modes they've added to it are, are really, really smart. And the other thing I've spent more time with is Disney Infinity 3.0. Specifically, this past week, I've kind of dove into user-created toy boxes. You can go on and download things. The news coming out of this is the... Uh, Splatoon ripoff, <laughs> uh, Ink Fire or whatever they call it. Um, I mean, it's a badly made, janky Splatoon ripoff where you're coloring with your little, uh, looks like a paintball gun to, to paint the levels and and take over territory. Um, it shows that in these creation games, oftentimes while you might be able to make Mario One One, uh, Mario One One is way better played in Mario. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what I found with most of these user-created levels. Some of them are really cool in terms of like, oh, look what they did. They recreated the actual entrance to Star Tours at Disneyland in this <laughs> in this game. And I'm going on like a Star Tours ride. Um, but it, it doesn't look nearly as good as if they, it was actually in one of the campaigns. So it's again like, wow, really creative. And you spent a lot of time with this. Um but it's not as good as playing stuff made by real people. And Disney Infinity still has not, you know, given users enough tools, I think, to make levels that compete with what Avalanche or whomever is designing the game makes within the play sets themselves, which is a shame because that's something that, you know, Mario Maker does really well is that these are the tools after you play for whatever, 10 days or uh, I forget what it is. When you unlock everything, you get all of the tools and you can make what you're going to make. What anyone can make from Nintendo in that game, you can make. Um, you can make that stuff straight out of the gate. It's just like certain items are are limited. Like you get a limited tool set right out of the gate and then stuff unlocks. Right. That was my understanding, right? Yes, correct, correct, correct. Okay. Um, but it's a minute until you have the full complement. Right. Yeah. Correct. And, and so while Disney Infinity, I still really like. I think the characters, uh, again, are, are fun and the toy box offers fun things to do in it. I don't think you're going to, this is the maker game of this um, release cycle where this is the game that you'll keep playing forever and you have unlimited Star Wars levels or unlimited Spider-Man levels to play in. Um, I think it needs more more time in the oven to really be completed. I, I keep mentioning Mario Maker. I have spent time with it. I do not own it, but I have spent time at friend's house um, playing it. And uh, I think if you are in down with this game, you're going to be 
down for this game 100%. Uh, I will hopefully have more to say next week about designing levels. So far, I've just been playing stuff that other people have designed. And it's a little bit of the Wild West out there. Um, but I think this game is a game that buy on Black Friday or buy whenever and will only get better over time, right? Because uh, there's going to be so much content to play in this game. Jeff, did you spend any time with uh, the maker? Not yet, but again, uh, like you, it'll be uh, next week, uh, I think. Although, you know, you talk about Geometry Wars. I did play, <laughs> revisit, like you did, an old uh, Xbox 360 downloadable uh, arcade game, and that is Casual Crashers. Uh, Castle Crashers Remastered came out for Xbox One, and they're giving it away free if you already own Castle Crashers. Uh, so I redownloaded it, and uh, it's still awesome. If you guys don't know about Castle Crashers, it's it's kind of like the old uh, side-scroller like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or um, The Simpsons or uh, even Golden Axe, uh, mm-hmm. but just done exquisitely. And uh, you now it's on Xbox One, and they have added a new mode, which is really a mind-bender. A very, very uh, diabolical survival mode where you're on this you're on this grid that actually looks like the old. You guys remember the old, old, old arcade game Crystal Castles, where or, or sort of like Cubert, where you're hopping from. It's like um, you know this isometric perspective, and you're j- hopping from dot to dot uh, around. And then there's you know the bad guys are chasing you, and the thing that's so diabolical about this mode in Castle Crashers is that you move by pushing the color of the button that is on the space adjacent to you, but the color of the button doesn't necessarily correspond to its positioning. So if you were standing on a space, the space to your right isn't necessarily the B button, which is what it should be, right? Because that's the button that's to the right on your thumb. It it might not be, it might be all weird and backwards and it, Oh, my brain. Yes. And so you're, you're attempting to avoid these, these larger and larger groupings of enemies that are hopping slowly towards you by, you know, just kind of in in a, it's kind of like pacifism mode where you're just trying to avoid them as long as you can. And it goes fine for a while, but then your brain is like, I want to go to the right. So I'm going to push to the right. Nope. That made me jump to the top. Oh crap. Okay. <laughs> what, how to, and you can get really crazy with it. Cause like if you, at certain points, the color of where you would jump, like would leap you over the top of the enemy. So you, if you can manage to bend your brain that way, Ah, it's it's really cool. It's a really different, interesting mode that I've never seen before. That hurts. One of the best things I think God of War and some of these QTE games did is when they started not just putting the button prompt in the front of the screen. So if it's like if you were to push X, that would show up on the bottom of the screen, you know, where that button is. So it even makes it easier for your brain to make the neuron firing to muscle trigger push thing happen. And now if there's a game that does the opposite of that, I'm I'm done. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> no wild. Way. And then the other game, just lastly, that I want to bring up that came out this week, there's so much stuff coming out that's great, is Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. Uh, Christian, did you get a chance to play any of this? Uh, just a littlest bit. I wanted to play it co-op, and I got the wife to sit down with me, but we have a four-month-old, and we, it just didn't happen. So hopefully next week for that as well. Well, that and, and Castle Crashers are the two games where I'm like, oh, I guess I finally have a reason to buy a second Xbox One controller, because I realize I don't own two controllers for that console. Um, yeah, yes, lo- right. Lovers in why, a Dangerous Space Time is, is it's the reason <laughs> this game is the reason to do that because it's it's so brilliant. It's like a it's like a platformer got swallowed by a shooter. Uh, you are <laughs> you're in this spaceship that's spherical or circular and you're coasting around through the galaxy 
And you're inside that spaceship, which is, you know, you can see right into, uh, is a platformer. So there's different controls for different weapons on the ship and, uh, the propulsion system and the, the, the shielding system. And all of those are on different levels, uh, separated by ladders and you're a little dude inside and you have to run from spot to spot to control. So if an enemy comes from your left, you better run over to the left and control that control to shoot on the left. Oh no, there's another enemy on the right. Okay. One of you has to run over to the right. So you can have multiple people in your starship at once, which is why it makes it so fun as a couch co-op game. But as a single player game, you get like a, a little pet uh, or a little sidekick and you can, you, you know, send them off to one of the stations to auto attack for you. Uh, which is much more difficult than actually having two humans doing it. But, uh, man, it is clever. It's charming. It's got a wonderful aesthetic, this beautiful, vibrant, very pastel, neon world that sort of, you know, love and happiness is being attacked by hate. And uh, But it's, it's, it is a brilliant, very clever, maniacal game where you, you're shouting at the people you're playing with, like, we've got to get to the right, get to the right. Really fun. So fun. That's lovers. I've had coworkers rave about it, and it's been one that's like showed up at PAXs for years now, and just like so glad to hear that it's coming out, and so many people are like really getting into it. Yeah, lovers in a dangerous space time. Yeah, uh, coloring squared in the chat room says it, he he calls it the FTL platformer co-op, which is kind of what it is. <laughs> it is kind of like FTL if FTL wasn't turn-based. Well, I guess it it isn't really, but uh, if FTL was sort of a little faster paced and co-op and uh zane it's it's really fun <laughs> and different but you know what i'm talking about i mean come on it's the thing it's exactly like that except completely different you know what I'm <laughs> uh all right guys uh we're going a little long so we're not going to do a uh a q and a but please uh, continue to send those in you can always send them to uh dlc feedback at gmail.com we love getting your cues so we can give them to our a's uh, so please do that for future episodes, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, but now let's uh, have a little tabletop time. Right now, right now. Chris, you have been playing a board game. Please oh, yeah. Game about slinging dice and stomping your way through Tokyo to be the greatest monster ever spawned by man or uh, nature, uh, space. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the game is called King of Tokyo, and uh, I, I borrowed it from our resident like board game guru here at GameSpot, Justin Haywald, and brought it on a weekend away with some friends, and it was really Really delightful, really accessible, and really easy to kind of repeat a few rounds. And also, I like one every round that we played, so I think that might have colored <laughs> my opinion of it slightly. But you are the king uh, of King of Tokyo. I was, uh, yeah. So basically, you like choose a monster to play as, and so you've got your your Godzilla, your giant, you know, your giant gorilla, your uh, dragon, your cyborg uh, bunny, you know, your typical archetypes, and. Uh, you the idea is to like earn a certain amount of points uh, victory points by uh through various means one of one of the chief ones is sort of like operating inside tokyo so the board is very simple it's really just a card that represents tokyo and all the other monsters you you are outside of it unless you're currently the reigning king of tokyo uh you know, occupying that position means that you can be attacked more easily by other monsters, and if you get killed in a round, uh, you're you're out. 
Uh, and but if you're but you also gain victory points at a faster rate by being in there. So it's that kind of risk reward thing. Meanwhile, other monsters are outside trying to like maybe usurp you and maybe like shore up their own abilities by like purchasing cards. And the way any everything happens is by rolling six die. You roll and you can get you know can get a, a attack. You can get energy points. You can get heal points. You can match numbers to gain victory points. And every round you play, you roll the six die up to three times before you like set your lineup. So it's kind of like Yahtzee almost. Mm -hmm. uh, not that I like actually know Yahtzee that I realized, but yeah, I got a mm-hmm from someone there. So uh, <laughs> it worked. Yeah, right exactly. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I think like with the, as with any game where, you know, it's relying on dice rolls, there is a certain amount of like, you take pleasure in when you do a good dice roll, even though, like, come on, like that—that's not like a skill choice you made. You just happen to luckily roll a dice, so that if you're on the losing end of a dice roll, it's just kind of like, ah, oh, crap, the dice. Not like, dang, I was outsmarted. Ugh, that really needles me. Um, so it's it's mostly just about like, you know, rolling those dice, like shoring up your your chances and using like these little cards that allow you to, to to do some pretty powerful things to subvert your opponents or to subvert the normal way you would play. Uh, I'm blanking on any examples right now because it was about, uh, I hadn't played it in a little bit, but it was really fun. I really enjoyed it and uh, very, very accessible again. So it's like, it you know, it's not, not a long sit down and play for a long session kind of thing. It's a casual thing, uh, really easy to pick up. And I think like, you know, even like older, like elementary school kids that would, would get into it as well. Cause it's, you know, you have to do some reading and some kind of resource management li very lightly, but uh, mostly it's about just like pretending to smash your friends up and, and yell that you're King of Tokyo. Yeah, this is, this is a game that I, I don't recommend enough. I, I, I should be recommending it to more people. It is, as you said, so accessible. Uh, I played it in a, in a tournament at a convention one time and I got my butt, whooped by like three nine-year-old kids um i mean so yeah you can play it with with young people and and old people and it is sort of universally fun and easy to easy to learn you can pick it up really quickly and everything really makes sense and it's uh it's fun it's got really great components the big monsters have little standees so you can stand them up and you know you're playing that sort of king of the hill type game and you're like yeah i'm own in tokyo right now and everybody attacks you and it's great it also has a sequel co called uh, King of New York, which um, has some tweaked rules and some extra bits in it too that that make uh, make the game really fun. So yeah, that's a that's an easy one to recommend. It's a it's a great game, King of Tokyo. Um, I I played a couple of games this week that I've talked about before on the show, so I don't have to go into too much detail. But um, one of them is Dead of Winter, which I talked about a long time ago when it first came out, and I revisited revisited it this week, and it's just so great. It's so great, you guys. And as winter approaches us, uh, what better game to play than Dead of Winter? Uh, you know, may not, maybe still a thousand degrees here in Los Angeles, but uh, the winter is coming, as I as I've heard. You know, um, it's that visualization thing where if you're feeling really hot, you just think a lot of cool thoughts, picture yourself in a yeah. cool place, help bring your body yeah. temperature down a little bit. With zombies. Uh, so in this game, you're uh, <laughs> you're in this. In this bleak winter wasteland and zombies are out to get you and each player plays a group of people. You're not just playing one character. You're playing a group of people that can expand as you find more survivors over the course of the game. And you have to run between different locations in the city and scavenge for supplies in each of the places. So if you need 
Uh, if you need medical supplies, you'll try to get to the hospital and search there. If you if you need food, you'll try to get to the uh, grocery store and try to scavenge that. And there may be zombies there that you may find. You, there may be survivors there. You may find other kinds of useful items that can help you in your quest. And uh, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're playing to try to survive as long as you can, but there are different goals that each scenario has. And each character also gets a secret goal that only they know that can be at cross purposes with the community surviving. And then one player might be a traitor. So there may be one player who's trying to screw everybody over and you don't know. So the, has all this, uh, distrust that's that's spawns in the in the grouping of players it's it's one of those really wonderful games and there's this really cool mechanic uh called crossroads where on your turn every time there is a card that the person to your left will draw and read without you knowing what it is and there's a a a series of circumstances that if you meet them on your turn even though you don't know what they are, it will trigger this story moment that can lead to some really interesting, weird, bizarre things happening. Uh, and it's a really cool mechanic because you never know what, if what you're going to do will make that happen. So basically you'd be like, okay, I'm going to do this and this and this on my turn. And then the person goes, okay, all right. And then they just put the card back like you didn't do it. Or they go, wait a second, this happened. And then some crazy event happens. And they read off the text of the card and find out what's what's going on. Uh, it's a blast. It's It's a cooperative game with a trader, so there is some competitive stuff going on as well. Really well-designed, awesome components. Uh, it's called Dead of Winter, and it's from Plat Hat Games. Cool. Yeah. Awesome, dudes. Well, let's wrap up this episode. Uh, we do still have our parting gift to get to, uh, so stick around for that. But in the meantime, thank you, Chris Waters, for being here, man. This was really great. I really appreciate you doing it. Oh, man, I had a blast. This was a good time, guys. I really appreciate the invite. Very cool. So where can people keep up with your stuff this week? Oh, you just follow me on that old Twitter there. My, uh, It's the handle I've been using in the chat room as well. C.T. Waters. C-T-W-A-T-T-E-R-S. Awesome. Uh, how about you, Christian? What do you got going on this week? Uh, I do another podcast called Uninformed Opinions with Stuart Noct. People might know from Cheap Ass Gamer. And then I, I know I mentioned it before, um, but the thing I do, the podcast I do on all things comedy called Bitchin' with Dean Del Rey. We are on a little bit of a hiatus because, um, holy moly, guys, be safe out there. Um, Dean got hit, uh, a hit and run on his motorcycle. He's okay, but very, very banged up and a crazy story where during the middle of the day, a woman stole a family's minivan and drove it on the 110 in the tunnel and smashed into a bunch of people. And um, and Dean Yikes. Dean made it out. But anyway, we are in recovery mode, but you can find archives of that on his uh, feed. Let There Be Talk is the name where it's archived and RSS'd. And otherwise, I am on Twitter at Spicer. It's the easiest way to uh, get in touch with me. Mr. Kanata, uh, what are you concerned about this week? Oh, lots of stuff. We have a really interesting episode that came out today. You're talking about my other show. We have concerns that I do with Anthony Carboni, my comedy show. Uh, interesting episode came out today. We did a double episode that was all just Q&A from PAX uh, that got released this morning. It's a really, really different thing for us. I think it's really fun. I would love to hear what people think. You can check that out at wehaveconcerns.com. Uh, you can also hear me talking about movies over at the Slash Filmcast. That's at slashfilmcast.com also. Um, all right, dudes, let's get right to the parting gif. Hey, 
Do you have a suggestion to help people get there through their week? Uh, you know what? This is a this is a bit of a weird one because it's a little bit local specific, but I think I can adapt it so that everyone can sort of get something out of it. So, uh, my wife works uh, in the theater. She's a she's prop art. She's the head of a prop shop at the Berkeley Repertory Theater nearby, and they just debuted this week Amelie the Musical, uh, which wow. is based it's based on the movie. It's uh, based on the story, but it's a whole new uh, music, whole new script, uh, and of course, uh, you know, new actors and, and new sets and stuff like that. And it was just like, I hadn't seen Amelie since like, I don't know, early century, right? Like about when it came out, but what it reminded me of is how that movie like is, is whimsical and sentimental, but it also has this kind of vitality to it that just makes you, uh, excited to like live your own life. To, to go out into your world and see the people you love and connect with them and like, or, or connect with new people or just be, look at your world through like fresh eyes and see all the like wonderful things that are happening around. Uh, so if you're in the Bay area, go see Amelie the musical. But I guess my, my rec- larger recommendation is like, go look in your, look up what your local theater is playing and go see a play. Uh, this is kind of an art form that I don't think I would seeking out if I didn't have the connection uh, of being married to someone who works in the business. But it's like seeing a play is this is, again, this kind of vital experience where you, you know, you see actors, you know, emoting, you're there with an audience, you're in a physical space, you're seeing something that, you know, the, the stories that make it on into stage theater oftentimes are not the stories that make it onto TV or movies or games or other places. You know, it's a, it's a very specific kind of way of storytelling. So try to go see something at a local theater. And even if honestly, like, even if it turns out to be not that great, try to see it with someone and then you'll just have something to talk about afterwards, make it an evening, make it an afternoon matinee and uh, give that a shot. Man. Bravo to that sentiment. I, I could not agree more as a avid lover of theater. I, I applaud that sentiment. And it makes me sad to think there may be people who uh, have never been to see live theater because they think, oh, it's the same thing you get at the movies or on television. It is not, as you as you so eloquently said, it, it is very much a different kind of experience. So, yes, seconded. Yeah. Uh, sure. Christian. Yeah, Christian, what do you got on your uh, what are you, parting gift slate? I don't know if we've sung the the praises of Mr. Robot, but um, I'm going through it again, um, partially for something that I'm writing for something um, tonally similar. You're doing <laughs> um, you're doing Mrs. Robot. Well, I didn't want to say it. It's actually Dog Robot. It's um, <laughs> for Animal Planet, and it's about a dog that's really good at coding. It's kind of the Infinity Monkeys with Infinity Typewriters in a room, but this is dogs, and it's going to mm-hmm. air. During the halftime of the Puppy Bowl, <laughs> All right. well done. no. Um, but if you haven't watched Mr. Robot, it's on USA. I believe it's only ten episodes for its first season. When you think USA, you're probably not thinking of what Mr. Robot is because I think tonally it's very different. I think it'd be more at home on HBO or AMC. Uh, but it is. It's so well done. It's pretty much a perfect first season from opening scene to to final moment where. I don't know. It's it's really beautiful. It's really well done. It's definitely for mature audiences. Um, but if you haven't watched Mr. Robot, I think pretty much only people have said great things about it. And I will add my voice to that chorus. It is incredible. 
Word. I agree with that one as well. Um, I'm going to pimp out uh, a movie that people might not be going to, although I heard it had a nice opening weekend. Um, We have not yet done our Slash Film Cast review of The Visit, but uh, we will be doing that, I think, tomorrow. So check that out for my longer feelings. You can listen to that podcast that we'll be doing. But short version is... M. Night Shyamalan made a pretty good movie. Uh, the visits, uh, it, it's really entertaining. I enjoyed it. It's a horror movie about old people be scary, yo. Um, but uh, I'm not usually a big fan of the found footage movies, but this does it pretty well. And it's surprisingly funny, which I think uh, horror movies are great because you can laugh uncomfortably. But when they're also genuinely funny, it's even better that you're you're frightened and you're laughing and you're having a good time. This movie is very entertaining. It's called The Visit, and it's by M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thank you so much to Chris Waters and Christian Spicer. Thanks to the folks at 5x5 for making the show possible. Thank you to all our folks in the chat room for giving their input in real time. You can always listen to our show live at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, every Monday and thank you to you for downloading and listening to the show. Hey, why not give us a rating on the iTunes or tell a friend? All of that can be very helpful in spreading the word for the show. We appreciate it very much until next week. Think about what you put out into the world, make it a better place. 